Appreciate that. Seeing all these little kids uh, singing. Is about what grade would you say they were in? Anybody know? First and second grade? First through sixth. First through sixth. Guess what I'm preaching on tonight? Don't have a heart attack and fall out of the chair or the pew and hit your head and cause a lawsuit when you find out what the title is. Okay, ready? Here's the title. Are you as smart as a fifth grader? That's the title. Now, I'm preaching 46 years, and this is my second session, like tonight, and that's the best I can do. Isn't that a frightening thought, amen? <laughs> they asked Spurgeon, you know, oh, he's Spurgeon said, I don't have a problem getting, I may have quoted this this morning, he said, I don't have a problem getting a sermon, I have a problem picking a sermon, but honestly, and what I'm going to preach tonight, I've been preaching it for about 35 years, this one message, and, uh, you know, and God has always used it. You know what always means in the Greek? Always. So if you want, you want some help again tonight, it's more help time. Now tomorrow, uh, it's going to get wild. Okay, if you thought anything you heard thus far was wild, I'm, I make up a lot of stuff in the message I'm going to preach tomorrow night. And it's going to shake some of you up bad. I mean, it is. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so tomorrow night, you, you want to you wanna sh be sure to be here. It's going to be a blessing to you. I'm writing an, my sixth book. I just started it about a month ago, out of nowhere. It's called Perilous Times, Deep Truths for Shallow Waters. And God has been giving me so much, I cannot even tell you how much he's been dumping on my mind. But that's how we do it. We're all doing specialized things. Your pre preacher and his wife are trying to minister to this good congregation, and I run around all over the place you know, writing these crazy books. Yeah, and, you, and your pastor's wife is something else. I had a pair of suit pants that I just got out of the cleaners right before I come out here. Had a little rip in the seam and they were supposed to fix it. You know, I, I, I mean, I picked, my wife picked it up, supposedly it was done. I had a, last night I'm in a restaurant, I'm looking at my leg, a hairy leg through the pants, <laughs> sitting at the table. I said, that's not good. And I have some very beautiful legs if you're interested. <laughs> And so that wasn't going to work, so uh, blah, 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 I'm wearing the same suit twice uh, today, and of course, preacher's wife took care of sewing up that pair of pants for me, just like that today, right after a meal. I mean, that's, that's special. And really, you're, you're probably spoiled, and that's just how all of us get to be, when God's good to us. Hello, neighbor. Hello, neighbor. Last year, I told you, in COVID, I was in 92 churches. I'm not bragging, God did that for me. You know how many that is? Try 52 weeks in COVID year when 90% of the churches supposedly were shut down. You figure it out and get back to me. Have your people contact my people. This year, before I showed up on this crazy trip I'm on now, I started out Wednesday in uh, uh, Maslin, Ohio, uh, uh, Maslin, Ohio, Mansfield, Ohio, first night. Before I showed up there, I had 42 churches behind me in my rearview mirror this year. And that's after canceling the first two uh, services I had booked first Sunday of the year because I got COVID at the end of December. And I'm 69 stinking years old coming up in November. <laughs> Isn't that something? That's a miracle of God. And I'm thanking him every minute of it. But, but I'm here to help you. And uh, you got to get something tonight because tomorrow we're going to get into deep water about what's going on in the country and you're going to get more shook up than you're going to be uh, getting help. 
and I'm just cutting up with you to get you to come. But please don't miss coming tomorrow. I promise you, I'm giving you all the new material God's given me for this book. And uh, be sure to get some of those books before I get out of here. Are any widows here tonight? Any widow ladies here tonight? How about some wannabes? Raise your hand if you're a wannabe. <laughs> all right, remember that. That offers good. Amen, Brother Grady. Turn in your Bibles to Romans. And you know, there was a ton of you that never heard me before. Aren't you shook up a little bit? But you're starting to get to like me. Tell me the truth. Don't give me that stiff look. I've been around a long time. Are you kidding, neighbor? I've been around a long time. And how many preachers can write 900-page books and tell you why Italians have short necks? You ever seen Italians have short... Where's that one dude I was talking to this morning? Can he come back tonight? Where's he at? In the back seat. You look at his neck. You know, what, you know why Italians have short necks? There's a reason. I'm serious as a heart attack. All the time they stand in front of the judge. I never heard of the guy. I don't know nothing about that. They all got the most stumpy necks. How many preachers can write a 900-page book and tell you stuff like that? Come on. Come on, give me something here. Truth is, when I get in New York, I feel I'm in my element because I, you know, I grew up in crazy land down in Manhattan. I, <laughs> I love being up here. I feel comfortable. All right, Romans chapter number 11. Romans 11, if, uh, I don't know if you want to play up and down yo-yo stuff, get your stretching in there. Why don't we stand in honor of God's word? Would that be all right? Romans, uh, Romans 10, uh, Romans 11. Hey, right after we finish this morning's message, how about that, neighbor? I'm going to preach this in, in kind of because of D-Day uh, today, uh, June 6th. I have a relative that was involved, and I want to maybe share a little bit of that in this message, okay? Verse 1. Chapter 11, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, you know, Mark says that Jesus, he had done all things well. I mean, how many things do you see the Lord do in four gospels? He's preaching, he's teaching, he's doing children's work, personal work, performing miracles, encouraging people, duh, doing everything. But you know, the apostles only asked the Lord to teach them how to do one thing out of everything they saw him do. Boy, half of you still looking for Luke. That's very frightening from up here. because you told us Romans. I didn't tell you Romans, did I? <laughs> you know, it's, it's starting. It's, it's starting, you know that? You know what I did today? Coming in here, I was drinking uh, lemon and tea and, and hot tea, hot tea, lemon and honey. You know what you drink if you start losing your voice. My voice is fine. I'm trying to beat the devil, head him off at the pass. I'm drinking that every night before I come to a church. And uh, wait, you think this is bad. You should see Tim. Come on down to Tim Young's church on the last Sunday night of this, of this month. And you'll see what's left of me. Amen. All right. It's all the same. What's the problem? Luke 11. <laughs> hey, number. I was wondering. The preacher was looking for it. <laughs> That was not a good sign. <laughs> Hello, neighbor. Eleven in the Bible is the number for crisis. You know that. Eleventh hour, no man will hire us. Eleventh hour reprieve from old Sparky. Amen. Hey, when you got a crisis, I think you call 9-11. I don't know. We have a crisis on September 11th. I can't remember. When United American Airlines Flight 11 slammed into the Twin Towers. In New York City, nine letters. I mean, 11 letters. Do you, uh, anybody with me, neighbor? Uh, you, you need prayer when you're in a crisis moment. 
And you're going to have plenty of crisis moments, again, because of that verse, perilous times. I can't tell you we're in the last days dogmatically. In private, I'm sure we are. But I can't tell that to you. But I can tell you dogmatically that whenever the last days begin, you've got a laid out outline on what to look for. And it starts real bad and only gets worse. You think you might need to know how to get through to God under those conditions? Duh. The only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to do was to teach them how to pray. And they saw him do everything. You can get through to God. Everything else will take care of itself. Verse 2. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And this is the verse that knocks out the term Lord's Prayer. I don't know if the Lord ever did any sins, do you? I don't think he did, amen. And forgive us our sins. For ye, for ye also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First of all, this is Israel's prayer, not the church anyhow. The closer you'll get to the church, is going to be up there in John 17. That's more of the Lord's prayer. He's, he's talking to his father directly, right? But this is a prayer uh, for, the state, you know, for the nation of Israel. And there's nothing wrong with you following it in, in an application for sure. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's an outline. You want to pray? Okay, I'll teach you how to pray. When you pray, pray like this. It's an outline to teach you about prayer, isn't it? You know, what I ha you know what happened today? I called my wife today when I got out of church, and she, you know, told me to get lost. She was busy watching something on the Internet. I had to call her later, she said. Now, I, 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 I embellish a lot. She's the most submissive helpmate a man can have. We just cut up with each other all the time. She was watching a wedding on the Internet about 1.30 in the afternoon. I told you that crazy thing I did in Germany. This morning, during our camp meeting, a young preacher, I mean a middle a preacher in his late 30s, single man from uh, a pre pastoring in Maryland, engineer, was in that camp meeting. And there was a lovely unclaimed blessing, like Cinderella, you know, type thing. Sweet lady from Canada, mid to late 30s, getting up there, not married. I, I imagine both of them had been praying for God's will. Well, guess what? They met in that camp meeting. Five days, whirlwind romance. They were married today. And I preached for him two weeks ago in Canada, in, 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 uh, in Maryland, because he had to leave early to stay two weeks in quarantine before he could kiss his wife. Amen, get married. What a crazy world up there in Canada. You might need to get through to God sometime soon. What do you think, neighbor? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we sure do love you. And I pray that you'll help us tonight. Open our eyes. That we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Thank you for the fun spirit I feel here. Lord, if I just went to a bunch of dead, average, mediocre churches, I'd probably go crazy to keep this kind of a pace. Thank you for fun places and a, a pastor like Brother Dunbar and his dear wife and so many of the funny folks I've already had good time with already. Thank you for being good to us. Now, but please open the eyes of the people tonight and help them to get ready for what's coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Dr. John Rice, who was a fundamentalist, wouldn't know right division from a right hook, but he did a lot of good for the work of God for sure and practical things. He wrote a book on prayer, sold six million copies called Prayer, Asking and Receiving. He told a dream uh, about a, a dream he had in that book as an illustration. And in the dream, he went to heaven 
died and went to heaven, and an angel was giving them a tour of the place. And they went by a big old warehouse, and the angel kind of like sidestepped the thing, you know. And John Rice got curious in the dream. He said, and he asked the angel, said, what's in that big building? And the angel said, hey, never mind, just come with me. Well, that got John Rice more curious, and as soon as the angel got a step or two ahead of him, John Rice jumped back, cracked the door open, and stuck his head in that big building. And man, he saw a whole mountain, full, mountain-high kind of pile of what looked like to us Christmas presents you might see under a tree, wrapped up, all kinds of things, big things, all kind of stuff. And he blew his mind. About that time, the angel looked back over his shoulder and almost had a heart attack. I don't know if you can have heart attacks in heaven, amen. And he ran and grabbed, this is my version, relax. And he ran and grabbed Dr. Rice and said, you shouldn't have been in there. And he slammed the door shut. Dr. Rice said, what was all that stuff in there? He says, never mind, let's go. Don't you ever mention to the Lord you saw in there. He said, well, if you don't show me what's in that, tell me what all that junk was, I'm going to throw you under the bus. And I'm going to go tell the Lord. So he had the angel, you know, in the corner. So he said, all right, but don't you ever tell on me. The angel kind of put his head down in the dream and said, Dr. Rice, that was all the stuff God had planned to give you in your life that you never prayed down. I heard that. I read that 40 years ago in 1978 in a book. Never forgot the illustration. I don't know. Didn't we, didn't we already establish this morning that the King James Bible could be true? We got that. We, we're past that, aren't we? I don't know. You have not? Because you asked not. Hey, man, any, you think it's possible your, your wife could get cancer or some other terrible disease, go home early? Is that possible? Anybody remember who Sammy Allen was, the, the camp meeting evangelist in Georgia? He went to heaven a little while ago. He, used to, he told me he used to pray 40 mi 45 minutes a day for his wife's body, organ by organ. That woman was the healthiest woman in the history of the United States of America. Now, you don't have to do the same thing, gentlemen, to feel spiritual, you know, but you need to get the illustration in your brain and think about it. Ladies, you think your husband could drop dead of a heart attack? I don't know. Somebody said you only really believe that which moves you to action. You know why most folks don't pray like they should pray, most Christians? You want to hear, how's this for an elementary lesson? Because most Christians don't even know what prayer is. There's probably a bunch of you in here that are nice Christian people, but you don't even know what prayer is. I'll give you the test. Turn to Acts 23 real quick. Acts 23. And uh, the Apostle Paul is locked up here, and he's using his nephew to, to run a message over to the top enchilada to try to get out of the jail. Uh, look at verse number uh, 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring, did we get the right chapter? <laughs> uh, verse 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions. You know what's the matter? The sermon on Wednesday nights on Israel, and that's Romans 11. I'm going to preach on it. I'm dying to get into it. Verse 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man, that's Paul's nephew, unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. Now watch the next verse. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and what? What's the next word? Prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. 
Now, was Paul talking to him thinking he was God or something? No, but he prayed to him. Duh. Look at the next chapter. Verse 4, chapter 24. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. Uh, shoot over to Acts 27. This great shipwreck chapter is where I get my subtitle of my new book, Deep Truths for Shallow Waters. Look at verse uh, 34. Wherefore I pray you, hello, to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not inherit a fall from the head of any of you. Now, the thing about prayer is, prayer is asking. That's what the word means. How many of you ever heard that old uh, 19th century British jurisprudence statement or quote? It's, old, it's antiquated now. They use a different word in American courts. But you've all heard it. We pray the court. What do they say today? We petition the court. But in the old days, we pray the court. In other words, I was telling the Lord coming in here tonight how wonderful he was, how much I loved him. I know most of you do that all the time, or there's something wrong with your mind. I do that all the time, and God loves every minute of it. But I'm not praying. That's worship. Once in a while, I'll commit a sin, amen, <laughs> and I'll confess it. That's not praying. It's confession. I'll tell the Lord how great he is and that's praising him. That's not, that's not praying. You haven't prayed until you've asked God for something. When I quit my uh, first church in Idaho, I was pastoring for five years, being invited to come back to Howells Anderson College where I graduated to be a teacher. How many remember Welcome Back Carter? Amen. That was me. I came back to teach in my old Bible school and the will of God as I felt it at the time and still do. And, but I got the shock of my life, preacher. I got a $10,000 salary cut from a church of 65 people to a classrooms where 400 students sat for 20, 20 uh, successive uh, consecutive uh, t uh, semesters. 400 young men training to be preachers versus 65 normal human beings in a church up in Idaho. I took a $10,000 salary cut. What's the old expression? If you could do it, do it. If you can't teach. Teachers are always making pitiful sums. I mean, especially, you know, in the secular world as well. Well, how many of you guys remember if you change jobs? You know, you, you sometimes run out of money from your last paycheck before you get your first check in the new job. Well, that's what happened to me. I'm, I'm there in Indiana teaching or substitute teaching at the beginning until I got my regular classes. I came up there in October 1981 from five years of pastoring up in North Idaho, the church I started up there. And, and uh, man, I was out of money after a couple of weeks, and I was frustrated, first of all, at the dopey salary I was getting. You know what I had in the refrigerator? I had a box of Arm & Hammer bacon powder in my 800-square-foot rented house. With my wife and three kids in there and a dog and a cat, amen. I'm coming home from teaching my classes and I'm just about bummed out. And I'm, I'm going over a bridge, driving home from teaching and coming home. And I'm, I'm, I'm fussing with the Lord. And it's a bad place I picked. I mean, it was one of our teachers, Mr. Jim Salee, a music teacher, was killed on that bridge in a car wreck. Not the smartest place to, you know, start fussing at God. But I was doing that anyway. And I said, Lord, what's the deal here? 
I don't even have any money. I have no food. And the Lord said to my spirit, why don't you try praying? No, I got mad. I said, my kids don't have to ask me for, for food, Lord. He said, you ever read the Lord's Prayer? I, I, I wish I'd have known back then that that wasn't for me. Yeah, I didn't know that to tell the Lord. Vance Hadner said I was getting all kind of prayers answered on Jeremiah 33.3 before I found out it was for Israel. And then I had to go find another verse. Amen. Isn't it funny how God will just overrule just about anything if your heart's right? So I said, okay, Lord, if, that ha if that's how you want it, here we go. Ready? I mean, I got real, I mean, I'm ex-Catholics are drama queens. You know what I mean? How many ex-Catholics in there? Raise your hand. Oh, you know you got drama. Just one? Up in New York State, we got one ex-fish eater in here. Did you even hear what I said? Are there, who, who was a Catholic before you got saved? Raise your hand. Oh, we got a couple more here. Hey, I mean, I'm not anybody else. All right, that's a very small percentage up here. Long story short, we all got, you know, we got drama. Every unsaved Catholic woman in this town who's over 65, her life's verses, oh my God. It's called drama, amen. Well, I got a little drama queen in me, and, I, and over that, I said, okay, Lord, here we go. Get ready, Lord. Here it comes. Hey, eternal security will help you a lot. Free will Baptist Christians don't, they don't get like this. That's why the Jehovah's Witnesses are banging on your doors 24-7. They don't know where they're going half the time. And I said, okay, Lord, here we go. Ready? I turned the radio now. I said, can I have some food? Okay, is that good enough? I turned the radio back on. I was frustrated. Any man wants to provide for his family. And I, I was just hurting there. I got to my house in 20 minutes. Walked into my yellow 800 square foot rented house, sat down on the couch right here, pulled the newspaper up. My wife was teaching the kids homeschool, arm and hammer box and refrigerator. About that time, two minutes after I got home, some station wagon pulls up, parks right in front of my driveway where my car was, like kind of blocking it. There's no way he wasn't coming to my door doing that. And it looked like the car come out of uh, Red Sanford Salvage Yard or something. You know, it was body cancer, rust, you know, I mean, from my memory, and the guy driving it looked worse than the car, amen, from my recollection. Looked like uh, General Ben's, you know, little brother. I remember matted hair and hair out to here. I just, oh, holy mackerel. You know, I mean, I, I lived eight miles from Gary, Indiana, where the police put a billboard up one time. I saw the billboard. A bunch of maverick cops put it up. Welcome to Gary, Indiana, murder capital of the world where the police are overworked and underpaid. They stayed up two days before they had it ripped down. So I see this dude here, and I said, that's not good, amen. So I sent my wife and three kids into one of our little, you know, four-by-eight bedrooms, you know, in the back, and I went in the closet and got my buddy Smith out, amen. His last name is Wesson, amen. And went to the door, and, uh, and I, I looked across the window, and I mean, across the, the road through the window, and there was a woman out there, you know, watering her grass. And it's daylight. I'm saying, I can't believe I got to shoot this dude in daylight. What am I going to do? It's nighttime, pop him and drag him in. He broke in. It's daylight. How can you shoot a guy in daylight? <laughs> but he was already, and I understand there's people packing in here, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, I, when I was in Idaho, the women packed as much as the men did. Amen. Long story, well, probably the truth here, too. Bottom line, he's kicking the door by this time and calling my name from the outside. Hey, great, he opened the door. I've only been in town three weeks. I was there five years ago, four or five years, when I went through Bible college, working with Tim Young at a steel mill there, building the M60 Army tank. And I'm back three months, three weeks. 
I thought, what is this, a maniac I owe 20 bucks to from five years ago at the steel mill? Who knows? Well, I pulled the hammer back, got it in my behind like this, and opened the door. And there's this wild-looking guy. But, man, as soon as we locked eyes, I kind of recognized these eyes. In that matted-looking face. I said, is that you, Jim? There's a guy I went to school with. Missionary to Spain. Candidate for Spain missionary, B-I-M-I. Man, he, he came in, told me a sad story. Terrible sad story, how he got into sin and lost his family, went to the bottom. And he, and, and he was living in Aurora, Illinois, about an hour from our church. And some of our bus workers, again, Brother House, man, he, he, he wrote the book on reaching people for God and had buses running everywhere in the world. An hour away, some bus workers found him and he started riding a Sunday school bus like a little kid. He said, I heard you were in town, man. He's kicking the door because he had three bags of groceries in one arm and three bags of groceries in the other arm. And he said, hey, I heard you in town. I thought you could use some. How you doing, neighbor? You haven't prayed till you've asked God for something specifically. Then you get it, if God wants to give it to you. But you're not going to get it unless you ask for it. You have not, because you ask not. Now, you say, preacher, what in the world does this have to do with, are you as smart as a fifth grader? Just about everything. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. Now, God wants you to pray to Him. You know why? He's dying to give you stuff. And you know, He doesn't want to give you a bunch of stupid stuff, consuming upon your lust. Hello, neighbor. That pair of pants that the preacher's wife sewed for me, I'll have that suit on tomorrow. I paid $19.95 for it. Just like this suit. $19.95. I bought them both at a Goodwill in Los Angeles. A year ago. I didn't wear $19.95 suits when I worked at 245 Park Avenue back in 1972. But I don't, I, I live, I enjoy life. I don't need a thing to make me happy. Not a thing. Not a thing. Because I've got him. Better than the fact that I got him, I got an awareness of the fact that I've got him. And I know what I'm doing. I got, a, I got the opportunity to serve him. Who would need anything if you understood that? That's why it says in Colossians, covetousness is idolatry. You got to have things to make you happy. You got problems upstairs. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But God wants you to be able to get through to Him for the serious things you need in life. He, he's dying to answer your prayers. So, you know what He's going to do to get you to become a prayer warrior, a more effective prayer warrior? He's going to mess with your mind. He's going to mess with your mind. He's going to make you jealous. <laughs> Trust me, I've only preached this sermon for 30, 35 years. I can preach it in my sleep, okay? It'll, it, it'll help you if you just stay with me. <laughs> what do you mean he wants to mess with my mind? He, met, he wants to mess with your mind the same way he messed with the Jew's mind. 
He wanted them to get saved. So guess what he did? He picked one of their top guys, a guy named Saul of Tarsus, got him saved, and then sent him after the Gentiles instead of sending them to his own people. You all know that? Look at Romans 10 real quick. It was prophesied back in the Old Testament about this. Look at verse number uh, 19. Romans uh, 10, 19. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to what? Jealousy. Jealousy. By them that are no people and by a foolish nation. You know what the church is? It's a foolish nation. And look over here when Paul's running around now in, 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 in real time after Moses prophesied all that. He's fulfilling it. Look at verse 11. Chapter 11. 11, 11. Talk about a crisis. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their salvation, or rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Why? For to what? Provoke them to jealousy. You ever remember all those Jews are going nuts when Paul comes to the synagogue and they kind of turn them off? He goes outside, there's a million Gentiles dying to get saved. The Jews are going crazy with jealousy. Now that very concept, if you get that in your mind, is exactly what I'm preaching about tonight. God's going to do the same thing with you. He's going to mess with your brain. In, watch this. Completely in love. I love this sermon because I always get the same reaction. People about pass out when, if they catch what I'm showing you tonight. Turn over to Mark 5. He's got the wildest story in the gospel period. The wildest story you've ever seen. Uh, this is about this demon-possessed dude. And uh, there, there's actually two of them if you read the account in Matthew and Luke. But Mark only centers on one of those two demonic people. Oh, Johnny Pope, I don't know if any of you know him. He was one of my teachers back in the 1970s at Hiles Anderson. He used to call this, he had a sermon on this chapter, Pastor. He called, he called this guy the nude dude in a rude mood. <laughs> I sat down with, with uh, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, the 44 caliber killer here in Walk Hill, New York Jail. Prison, I sat down with him four different times interviewing him. I have his testimony in the back of the Israel book. I think I mentioned that this morning. But first time I ever talked with him. No screens, you know. We sit down and get, hug each other and sit down there and talk. First time we, we met, this chapter came up from, from his end. And he said, Preacher, that's me in that story. I was shooting people left and right, thinking a dog was telling me to kill people. I was crazy until God unwound me. Now, this is, this is a story that has everything to do with your prayer life. And you wouldn't see that in a million years until we look at it a little closer. Okay? Look at verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadareans. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And again, there's two of them in Matthew and Luke. But Mark's just talking about one of the two who had his dwelling among the tombs. There's a second time that's mentioned. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had, he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones, like several teenagers you may know. 
cutting themselves. It's a big uh, plague in our young people's world today. Now, you see that word tombs three times. I want you to, they want you to know what, what, what Satanism is all about. My brother, Gregory, shot a man on the front steps of a police precinct in Brooklyn and then chased him into the police station with the loaded gun in his hand. I said, what'd they do to you, Gregory? They, he said, they beat the blankety-blank-blank blank out of me with rubber hoses for 48 hours. And then they shipped them up to Sing Sing. The guy was, I mentioned this morning, having an affair behind my brother's back. But, I, but before he went to Sing Sing, you know where he went? Every one of you know this place. He went to Rikers Island there on East River. You know what the nickname for Rikers Island is? It's the worst jail in the world. It's called the Tombs. Verse 7, verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou Son of the Most High God, I adjure thee by God, <coughs> that thou torment me not. For he had said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Now, what you've got to make sure you get down here is that it's the spirit talking through that man. It starts out looking like it's the guy talking, but you'll see it shift next couple of verses. Watch. Verse 9, and he asked him, that's Jesus the he, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. See it? That's, that's, the, that's the devils talking right through the man. They call that channeling. Verse 10, and he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him saying, send us into the swine we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. That's what happens when the devil gets a hold of your life. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. That was the verse that David Berkowitz pointed out. And they that saw it told them how it befell to, the, to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to what? <laughs> Look at that word sitting there. They began to pray him to depart out of their coast. See, their, their uh, Egg McMuffin business got, you know, torpedoed there. You know, Biden's so screwed up, you can't get a quarter pounder with cheese after 8 o'clock in America tonight. Do you realize that? I got a picture on my phone, a preacher friend in Alabama sent me. It's a picture of a, a McDonald's with a sign. It says, we pay by the day here. Just give us any time. Somebody asked Jack Howes one time, a lady said, said, Brother Howes, now that I'm saved, can I, will I still go to heaven if I eat egg McMuffins? He said, sure, you'll still go to heaven if you eat egg McMuffins. And if you eat enough of them, you may get there earlier than you might would have otherwise. <laughs> and God might have had a reason to tell you, you know, he don't like pigs, amen. All right, verse, <laughs> verse 18, and when he was come into the ship, I mean, he, he did what they asked for, he left. He that had been possessed with the devil. Look at here. Here's another prayer. Look. Prayed him that he might be with him. Only he doesn't get the answer that he had, <laughs> all the Egg McMuffin dudes got. Verse 19. How be it Jesus suffered him not, 
But saith unto him, go stay here in the prison and walk kill New York. That's what we were discussing after we got into this passage together. Go home and to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Don't come with me. You do, something, you do what I want you to do elsewhere. Okay, preacher, pretty cool so far. I got you, but come on now. I don't have any idea what you're talking about yet. What in the world has this got to do with are you as smart as a fifth grader? Well, when you see it, probably going to blow your mind. Did you happen to notice what, what you just went through there a few minutes ago? Pastor Dunbar, as far as I can tell, did I just read a pack of devils, filthy servants of Lucifer, a pack of devils, got three prayers answered in five minutes. You didn't forget what prayer means yet, did you? Did we we got to go back over that one again? We pray the... What's pray mean again? Make a request. Did you see a bunch of devils ask Jesus for three things? Yep. I mean, number one, did they say, don't torment us? Did you, did you read that? Did he torment them? I didn't see him torment them. I guess they got that one answered. The heads are nodding now. The lights are coming on. And then right after that, they said, don't send us out into the country. He's going to get rid of us. No, let's ask him. <laughs> don't send us. Anybody see him thrust them out of the, out of the neighborhood? Hey, to shoot. Hey, it's two for two, neighbor. And then they said, hey, can we go into those pigs? <laughs> Don't pass out, but the very next word says, forthwith. He gave him leave. Go for it. Anybody remember Rocky Balboa? Go for it. And away they went. Did you see that? That happened so fast it went right over your heads. You know, you're not dumb. It's just that heavy. They got three prayers answered in five minutes. Here he goes. Here comes the, here's the knockout punch, remember? Are you as smart as a fifth grader? Ready? When's the last time you got three prayers answered in five minutes? Wait a minute. Let's back up. When's the last time you got two prayers answered in five minutes? When's the last time you got a prayer answered? Are you as smart as a fifth grader? In other words, Ready? You got a prayer life that's at least as good as a pack of devil's prayer life? Or are they out praying you? See God messing with you now? Just like he did with the Jews. I'd feel pretty dumb if I couldn't get through to God as much as a bunch of devils could. See the idea? You feel the, loot, you feel the noose tightening on you now? That's God playing with your brain. He loves you and he's, had, he's got me doing this. I'm the, I'm the sucker here, the fall guy. I got to deliver the goods to you. But it's the Lord's idea. I'd hate to think that, I, that a bunch of devils could get through to God better than I could. That's the angle. Okay? So if, you, if you'd like to improve your prayer life and get up to par with a pack of devils, right? The way God would like you to react to the thought of this message. All you got to do is learn from them. So what do you mean learn from them? They practiced seven principles about prayer right in those few verses we just read. Seven. Most Christians don't have half of them down. And if you just do what they did, your prayer life's guaranteed to improve. And don't you think God would rather hear you and answer your prayers than a bunch of devils? He's just got that in there to mess with your brain because he loves you. What do you mean, preacher? Seven things. Number one, they prayed reverently. 
they prayed reverently. You see there in verse 6, the man ran to Jesus and what does it say? Worshipped him and said, uh, what did they say? He called him the, uh, the, the Most High God. Wait a minute, let me get the right wording down because you got three versions of this story. It's beautiful. You got so much information when you blend the three of them. Here you go, verse 7, verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran to him and said, Hey, Jesus, this is what I need. No, I didn't do it that way. We're dumb enough to do it that way, but that's not how the devil did it. He worshipped him and then cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Hey, let me tell you what I need. Don't send us out of the country. Don't torment us. No, it, 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 it. before he got around to that, he said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou son of the what? Most high God. You know what? When Jesus was teaching those disciples how to pray, I guarantee you those devils are doing this ministry. You know, Ephesians chapter 3 says, The devils and the spirit world and the angels, everybody, learns what truth is by the local New Testament church. If you could see what's running, what's in this room right now, paying attention, while the Christians are nodding out, you'd get scared to death if you could see what was probably in this room. They learn from listening. Christians don't learn, you know. They're too busy wanting, waiting to get home to see how many likes they got on their video of a squirrel pushing a beach ball down the sand, you know. <laughs> I preached against Facebook for about five years and while I was writing my last book on Israel, which took six years to finish. And when I was done, every friend I had said, you cannot launch a new book without a Facebook platform. I hated the thought of it, but I let them twist my arms and I got on Facebook. Now I've got about 3,500 friends, groupies, uh, zombies, or whatever, you, living dead, whatever you call these people. And I know this neighbor, they don't buy books. They're airheads, amen, most of them. Did you notice what happened here? Those devils heard the Lord say, when you pray, all right, pray this way, ready? Our Father, which art in heaven, here's what I need. Give, us, give me this day our daily bread. <laughs> did you notice the Lord didn't say that? The devils are into this. We're not. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, make a note, amen. You might want to tell God how wonderful he is before you get around to telling him what you like. That's how God is. And then after that, you might want to convince him that you're on the same page with him. Thy kingdom come, thy... You all know what's going on in Israel tonight? He's moving. He's, I guarantee you he's more interested in... The children that he has that are, that, are, that are on the same page with him and are up to par with his agenda than he is the Christians that airheads. He found a man, found a man after my own heart. Imagine that. A human being could have the same heart that God has. How about that neighbor? You can have the mind that he has according to Paul and Philippians, and then you can walk in his steps, according to Peter. Your mind, your emotion, and your will can all become like God's if you just yield to him. I think there's an old expression. I think it has something to do with love, right? Fools rush in. You ever heard that? Fools rush in. Well, so do Christians. They rush into their prayer closet. 
telling God what they want without giving God his due worship first. Jack Howes had three daughters and a boy, four kids. He used to tell us that when the kids were little, the girls got 10 times more from him than that one boy ever did David. You know what he said? He'd say when those girls wanted something, they'd come to him and say, Dad, have you been working out lately? <laughs> Dad, have you been growing some new hair? Good night. What do you, you got some new tonic? Oh, by the way, Dad, I need $20 for a dress. Oh, no problem. Say God's not like that. Oh, yes, he is. Go read the, go read the last eight chapters of the, uh, uh, go read Isaiah 40 through 48, those chapters. And all God does for eight chapters is just about his brag on himself. Who is like an unto me? It's not, it's, God's not proud when he brags on himself because he's God. Amen. That's right. He likes us to get in on it. And you, praising him will get you a lot more. Somebody said if we would praise God more, we'd have more to praise God for. Well, I'm just asking if you want to get your prayers answered up to the level of a bunch of devils. They start out by praying reverently. Number two, they prayed. I love this one. They prayed scripturally. They prayed scripturally. Turn over to Matthew 8. This truth, hello neighbor, ready? This truth saved my wife's life this year. How about that for a dramatic statement? Okay, the Bible works. And if you've got it moving in your life, it may save your life someday. Matthew 8, real quick. Look at verse number 29. Verse 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, there met him two, see, possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fears, that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Right? See the, the worship again? Look at the next thing they say. Art thou come hither to what? Are you all there? Talk to me. Help me out up here. I'm ready. I'm going to fall over here and pass out if you don't help me. Art thou come to torment us what? Before the time. Okay. Hey, listen. You know, you know what the big difference between northerners and southerners is? A Yankee, a southerner can be patting you on the back while he's planning your funeral. Say amen right there. Bless your heart. You know, and uh, they don't call it the deep south for nothing. And a Yankee can walk into a cancer ward and say, what's eating you, bub? You know, they both need a little work. When you come into the tabernacle, you're coming in through the east. The bread's on the, on the northern side, right here, to the right. And the lamp stands on the left. That's the Mason-Dixon line in the Old Testament, right there. The north up there, that bread, they've got their doctrine right a lot more than the southern preachers do a lot of times. Bob Jones Sr. said he'd come into a church in Georgia one time, Alabama, and the preacher's up there. He comes in the back door. He's watching the preacher up there, and he's preaching on Luke 16, and he's got the rich man in heaven, and Lazarus burning in hell. And, and Bob, Bob Jones starts going like this, trying to help him out. And that young preacher saw that, and he thought he was just egging him on, you know. So he just kept on preaching about Lazarus burning in the fire. He gave the invitation. Probably 20 people got saved. They got their doctrine off sometime. The Yankee church has got the doctrine straight. But here's the difference. The southern churches got the more of the light than the northern churches do. Northern churches got the, the doctrine right, but, but they can be as dead as Yankee Stadium at 4 o'clock in the morning compared to the southern churches. They, don't have, they got the light down there, but they don't have the doctrine right. You know, God would never get mad if we put it all together and became a good balanced group. 
Jack Hiles used to say, I go down to Greenville, South Carolina, uh, Harold Seitler's church, you know, the, the, the belt buckle, the Bible belt in those days, and he'd preach a sermon and they'd jump out, they'd pull it the, right in the middle of the sermon, they'd pull the Lord's Supper table out and run around it like a bunch of Indians, he said. Then he'd go to Canada and preach the same sermon. And they'd hold signs up that said, Amen. <laughs> and he, they'd say, well, that's just our personality, you know, our culture. And he'd say, don't give me that baloney. I've been to your hockey games. Yeah. We, oh, can get, yeah. we can get excited about anything. Yep. See, if you, if, if you don't help me, I'll get insecure. <laughs> when I get insecure, I preach a lot longer than otherwise. Uh, okay. Well, see, what, are, what are you talking about? I'm telling you that verse saved my wife's life this year. How about that? Is that dramatic enough for you? I mean, saved the life like I didn't have to have a funeral. What are you talking about? These, these devils knew how to pray and we don't. What did they say to Jesus? Art thou come to torment us before the time? You can't get us now. We're, we're supposed to be reserved for judgment down the road there. At least the, the angels, and these are spirits, and I'm not going to try to dissect all the differences, but go read in Jude and Peter. The fallen angels are reserved and chains into judgment in the future. Those books weren't written at the gospel period time, but these, these devils understood some of this stuff. We can't know how they knew it, but they knew enough to throw it on the Lord. You can't get us now. Did you read it? And you know what the Lord said? Okay, you got me on that. What does that mean? Well, the Lord wants us to, when we pray, to pray scripturally. You got a verse for what you need? God wants you to throw it at him. That's what it means when it comes boldly to the throne of grace. I had a picture of my unsaved father in the front of my Bible for years. He was a bookie and a loan shark and a Shylock and bartender and everything else in East, Upper East Side of Manhattan for years in the 1950s, man, when it was rocking and rolling. He, he, I tried to tell him how to get saved. He thought I went nuts. I used to have his picture, right? Anybody got an unsaved loved one here? It's a dumb question. Everybody has somebody, right? I used to have his picture in my Schofield Bible here, drinking a cup of coffee at a kitchen table, picture I had of him. Mrs. Dunbar, on the top of the picture, I had written over, the, over his head, G-A-L for Galatians, G-A-L 6-9. And I shot that up at God so many nights with a broken heart, crying my eyes out. I could see myself on the balcony of my apartment in Philadelphia back in 1974, dying to see my father saved. My mother's gone. I couldn't do anything about her anymore. You ever been there? You know how many nights I put that picture up to God like that and said, Hey, Lord, you told me I'd reap if I didn't faint. It's right here. You wrote it. How about it? I laid that on the Lord so many nights, it's not even funny. Took me 25, 30 years to see my daddy get saved, and I couldn't do it. God used a preacher, Jack Patterson. A man that met my dad, maybe most of you don't know him. He's an evangelist. He befriended my dad. My dad got to liking him. They both liked boxing. And after five or six visits to my dad's home in Delaware at the time, he led my dad to the Lord. I baptized him in front of 6,000 people, 7,000 people on a Sunday night service at Jack Hiles Church, where I was working at the time as a teacher. And I sprinkled my unsaved mother, a Catholic, and dunked my unsaved, my saved ex-Catholic uh, father, made him a Baptist on paper. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, what's that got to do with saving your wife's life? Okay, here it is. 
My wife's mother contracted COVID when she's 90 years old in an extended living facility there in, in Dover, Delaware. She, you know, she would not live with us in Tennessee. She's a lifetime resident of Delaware. She had a, a, a wonderful pension from being a seamstress at a uh, seamstress at a uh, uh, home for the mentally retarded there in Delaware. And uh, her husband worked there as well, and he was a veteran, so he was passed away. And when she uh, had to go into that place with dementia, uh, she was well cared for in a very good place, you know. But uh, anyway, during COVID month, COVID time, we got to go in to see her when she, uh, she got a stroke, when she's 90. And they let us in because she was uh, on hospice wing. She had a DNR on her will, you know, and so my wife and I, my wife went in to see her, and then uh, and, and I'm going to cut out 90% of the details. Bottom line is she caught the COVID. Well, let's put it this way. Well, when her, her mother passed away two days before Christmas, and we got all the funeral arrangements set up, but before we could have the funeral, the director wanted us both to be tested, and we both flunked, both tested positive. We had to cancel the funeral, man. Send her body, uh, bury her body, and cancel the funeral to a memorial service, which we later held during Easter weekend. But uh, I didn't have a symptom one. I canceled the first two meetings I had in Alabama. And uh, man, I, the other churches said, come ahead, because I didn't even have a runny nose. I think it was a false positive. I was sick as a dog earlier in, a year earlier in January when that mess just started. But long story short, my wife. Uh, she was hanging in there okay, and our, our married daughter was in our home at the time and looking after her. My wife was a nurse before we got married, so it was no big deal. I took off to go to Texas to preach. I had five different churches down there. And anyway, right, right when, right when uh, she's supposed to be hanging in there, she took a nosedive, and uh, she wound up in the hospital. I mean, bad hospital. You know, you know, isn't it funny how many of us have almost turned into doctors, or at, least, at the least nurse practitioners, all the stuff we've had to learn since all this crazy stuff started happening? You all know what your oxygen level ought to be up to, 96, 98? Hers was down to 84. She had double pneumonia. She had blood clots through her lungs. 69 years old with some blood pressure issues. I'm down in Nachadoches, Texas preaching, and I get these updates out of nowhere. And I'm telling you, neighbor, it did not look good all of a sudden. And my heart sunk through the floor. And I remember driving, crying. And I'll tell you what the Lord did for me. And listen, listen, about the most important thing I can tell you is what I'm going to say now. You got Baptist history conferences here because of Jeff Faggart. You know a lot more than most of the Baptist preachers probably in this country. But the biggest mistake you'll ever make as a Baptist person sitting on that pew is, is listening to some outside preacher or your own pastor and say, wow, I wish I could be a preacher and have those cool things happen to me or get prayers answered like that. That's that clergy lady junk. Where's a Baptist church? I know you know better. There's no distinction here. In other words, what I'm saying is God will do for you what he's doing for us. Amen. You better have your stories. Don't, ever, don't let the devil play with your head. You know, this is what God did for me. I'm driving down the road crying my eyes out. And then all of a sudden, God had mercy on me, and he opened up my own mind to a couple of Bible verses, because that's how he's always going to do it. First verse came into my mind, preacher, why wilt thou die before thy time? Ecclesiastes, right? That's what it looked like my wife was getting ready to do. I was getting ready to U-turn, drive back to Tennessee. I didn't know what to do. 
But the other verse was the knockout punch, Brother Dunbar. The Lord opened my mind to that verse over there in Exodus. You ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Remember that one that says, honor thy father and thy mother, right? What's the perk you get for doing that? That thy days may be what? Long upon the earth. Paul calls it the first commandment with promise. And when the light came on, I was crying, driving, and then all of a sudden, now back then, I was nowhere near as brash as I'm acting right now. God gave me the grace to act brash to you, telling the story now for fun to make you get it. But I was like this back then, right? But now I'm going to act real tough. You know what I told the Lord? All of a sudden, I said, anybody remember Clarence, the nutty angel from uh, It's a Wonderful Life? I went like this to the Lord, something like this. I said, wait a minute. I almost ran off the road when it dawned on me. I said, wait a minute. Something screwed up over here, Lord. Are you trying to tell me that my wife, don't, I hope I don't spit on you. <laughs> Are you trying to tell me that my wife is going to go home earlier than she would have? When she honored her mother? to come to her deathbed and risk her life in a COVID ward, and you're going to say she's going to die earlier than later? The verse says she's supposed to live longer. You got Clarence on this project up there? What happened? The wires have gotten crossed. You know what I was doing? The same thing that devil was doing. You know what the Lord said? He said, you got me on that one, son. I don't know, maybe I'm making this up, but she made a U-turn in 48 hours. And she was home another day after that with oxygen. A week later, she flies to Michigan with me, and she's been working out as a ninja ever since. Are we doing okay, neighbor? North Carolina preachers, anybody ever see those dudes? Oh, are we doing okay? Is everything okay? <laughs> see those guys? I don't want to be ugly. Listen, you can watch my sermons on the internet. You don't see me dump, jumping around like that at any normal place. I'm just doing this because of him. I feel good here. That's what James Brown said when he got out of jail. I feel good. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know that filthy Al Sharpton, the Reverend Al Sharpton? You know he was James Brown's road manager for 10 years? The Reverend Al Sharpton. Anyway, don't get me started. All right, number one, they prayed reverently. Number two, they prayed scripturally. I like this one. Number three, they prayed specifically. Hey, Lord, don't torment us. Don't send us out of the country. And can we go into those pigs right there, those ones right there? You want to learn something deep about yourself? Most Christians are just like Rodney Dangerfield, the Jewish comedian. I have a picture of his tombstone in my Israel book on his Los Angeles Cemetery headstone. It says, there goes the neighborhood. He's always insecure, right? He said, when I was a little kid and I'd play hide and go seek, when it was my turn, nobody looked for me. You know, we've all heard that. He's got filthy jokes, too, but we come up in the world, we're familiar with the, the dude. He's a, he's a Jewish comedian. Uh, now, here's the deal. You know what? Do you realize that most Christians don't pray specifically until they're in emergency status? You know how most of their prayers are? They're general prayers, not specific prayers. Yeah, them fans are going to be humming real good in about a minute. Lord, bless my preacher. See that? That's a general prayer. Pastor, you got normal needs like any preacher, right? Maybe your brakes went out this week and nobody knows. I lost the list you gave me. But that's just a joke. 
but why don't you, what about it? he needs brakes? Lord, help the preacher. He needs a he needs $200 brake job this week or his car is going to. That's a specific prayer. Bless my preachers, a general prayer. Bless the missionaries. What does that mean? Would you like to know why most Christians pray like that? Because they're like Rodney Dangerfield. They already feel insecure about themselves. And if they go out on a limb with a specific prayer, it may not get answered. And now they got more evidence that they're a dipstick all along and they don't want to hear any more evidence. So they'd rather play it safe. Hello, neighbor. Yeah. It takes faith to ask God for something. Yep. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. You ever see like six people carrying a piano? One guy can be a complete dud, deadbeat, not doing anything, just gro uh, groaning, right? And nobody knows. We're all going to find out who was carrying the piano at the judgment seat. But for now, you can fake it. Dr. Ruckman changed my whole life. I don't know how many of you know who these preachers are. It's not important. But he was the great King James advocate, and he helped your preacher learn a lot of things and changed my life. He died a couple of years ago, five years ago, and I went to his funeral. Pensacola, Florida. When I was down there, a lady come running up to me, married lady with kids. She said, hey, Brother Grady, I haven't seen you in 20 years. Yeah, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. She, and here's what she said. She said, you remember that wild service we had in our church? When you preached there uh, 20 years ago there in uh, Circleville, Ohio, I said, how can I forget? You and your sister were there. It was wild. And, uh, and, and, and I, <laughs> we, we got reminiscent about that crazy service that night. Say, what happened? Well, I preached, for, I preached for a student of mine. I was teaching at the Howes College. One of my former students was now pastoring four hours away from where I was teaching in Indiana. I, would, I drove out there Saturday night, four hours from Indiana, overnight at the hotel, preached Sunday morning, came back to preach Sunday night, and then I was going to drive home after the service back to Indiana, teach my classes Monday morning. Sunday night service, preacher. Morning service was great. Sunday night service, I'm sitting on the platform. And it's the offertory time. I didn't have book table back then. I had cassette tapes. This is like Lincoln was president way back a long time ago. For real. And I'm sitting there, you know, waiting to get up to preach. And it's time to pass the offering plate. And as the offering plate started going down, the Holy Spirit said, you're going to put anything in there, big boy? And I said, Lord, I only got one $20 bill from uh, one sale, eight tapes for 20. Back then, I was still selling stuff for 20. That's the magic number if you ever want to sell anything. <laughs> you can sell your mother for $20. Everything is $19.95. Long story short, I said, Lord, you know that preacher's a cool guy, nice guy, but he's tight. I'm not going to get a good offer in here. I said, Lord, I got to hang on to this 20 from my tapes. That's all I'm going to. And then this is what the Lord said in my heart. And he talks to you the same way. And you better learn these inflections. This is exactly what the Lord said. Ready? He said, that's a beautiful dress. He said, ready? He said, okay. Got it? Did you get that? You don't think he needs your stupid money and my stupid money? If I were hungry, I would not even tell me, the Lord said. He said, okay. You know what that means. Listen, I was only saved three months. And I was reading about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. I got all excited when Jesus said he made as though he would go further. Remember that? He wanted to go in, but he wouldn't tell him. He acted like he didn't want to go in. 
Come on in, ah, too much trouble. Ah, that's okay, nah, I'm not hungry. Oh, come on, Jesus, ah, remember, and it, okay, remember that? I ran up to my Southern Baptist wife, I was so excited. I said, honey, look how Jesus conned these dudes. And she hit me with a frying pan or a left hook or something. She said, don't you uh, call my savior con artist. And so I, I came back a couple seconds later. I said, okay, honey, look how Jesus fooled these guys. Amen. <laughs> he wanted to go to their house, but he wouldn't tell them. All right. I don't need your money. Think of that warehouse in there. And so I knew what that meant, and I got under conviction fast. So I said, okay, okay. <laughs> Took that $20 out of my pocket, preacher. And I threw it into that plate. I had to jump down and catch up with it. It was moving, you know. And then, as that offering plate sailed around the, you know, the pews, I was watching it like it was a ship going out of the harbor. <laughs> you, know, you know how the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You understand that. He'll take anything, though, even though he loves a cheerful giver. But here's the important part of the story. About that time, I said, now, Lord, look. <laughs> Lord, I know the Bible says give and it shall be given unto you. I know I'm going to get back for this. I said, but if you give it back to me like two months from now, I'm going to miss the connection with tonight. I said, can I have it tonight, Lord? Can I have it tonight, Lord? And then I preached my sermon. And when it was all over, and I should say it was a good sermon, amen. When it was all over, I'm ready to go home. Take my cheap love offering and drive four hours home. About that time, and this preacher is a good friend of mine. I'm just pulling your leg a little bit about it. Then he says, uh, he says hold on, Brother Grady. And, and he has a stage crew open up. We're ready to dismiss. Doors open up. Out comes the stage crew, and they unbolt the big pulpit, move it out of the way, and they come out with a big red chair like a throne. And he puts it over there, and he says, Now, Brother Grady, would you mind sitting here? And then he dismisses the church and everybody leaves. I'm sitting in a chair by myself. This guy, I think, used to snort, snort cocaine there when he was, a, he, was a, he worked up in Pittsburgh for CBS as a local news affiliate. He was a high-rolling dude and he was probably powdering his nose in those days. I'm thinking, is this guy having a flashback? I remember thinking that very thought. I want to get out of here, you know? Next thing you know, out comes another group of two, two, four people, a guy and his wife and in-laws. Two, two guitars, and they come over here and stand here and start playing the unseen hand. There is a hand unseen by man. Nobody in the auditorium, me sitting on a red chair. <laughs> yeah, but then the doors opened up back there. Here comes the church. Just like Braveheart. Remember the cavalry races away, run away, then they come back over the hill. You know, sick the eight day way we got to use illustrations from the heathens. You all laughed. You got that more than a spiritual illustration. And here comes the church members coming down the center aisle in single file, and they're all... By the way, I have another Arm & Hammer baking soda box back in Indiana that night, too. Here comes the church, and they're all carrying food items. I mean, all kind of things. And they're coming down the center aisle, and they're putting them on the platform, and I'm sitting in this chair watching this stuff. And the pastor, Bruce Engelman's got a microphone down there. And he's commentating. Brother Grady, those are shaman bath tissues there. He's giving me all the brand names, all high end stuff. Here comes an old lady with three teeth in her head, you know, holding a big apple pie she made. I don't know what their eyes look like because I couldn't look at them. I was just staring at the floor. I remember 
like it was yesterday. I'm staring at the floor, and all I kept hearing in my mind was, can you help me with it? Can I have it tonight, Lord? Can I have it tonight, Lord? I couldn't look. Isn't it, isn't it great when God beats the fire out of you in love? Mm -hmm. It is good that I have been afflicted, David said, that I might learn thy statutes. When it was all over, the whole platform was packed. I had to go home that night with an escort. The preacher's brother had to drive four hours to Indiana and four hours back to Ohio because one car couldn't hold all the stuff. We packed two cars. He had a receipt from Strachan Van Til's market. He, that they, they got everything at the same place. He said, Brother Grady, it's down to about $950 worth of stuff. Hey, this is 20 years ago before I even wrote my first book in 93. Y'all got that? I'm teaching from 86 to 96. First book come out in 93. This is 86, 87. $1,950 worth of stuff on the platform. And then he says, well, here's a $50 gift certificate to round it off to an even grand. Buy some ice cream and steak. I got home that night. I was so flipped out. Woke my, had my wife wake up all the kids. We had all the groceries all over the kitchen. Nowhere to even put it all. I was cussing the day of my birth driving home because I'm used to pulling over to get some rest. I couldn't put my head back. There was a bag of potatoes right behind my head. <laughs> I remember like it was yesterday. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but... Uh, don't let me forget the most important part of the story. About the time I'm, I'm sitting here scratching my head with all this food up here, right? That girl I met at the funeral, Brother Grady, do you remember that night? That was wild, wasn't it? She had a sister that's been fighting cancer tonight. Her name is Valerie. You know, they, they were daughters of the deacon in the church. That girl, the sister Valerie, comes up to me crying in the middle of all this chaos. I mean, it was like Pentecost that night. She said, Brother Grady... I don't know why I'm supposed to do this, but the Lord told me I'm supposed to give you this. Hello, neighbor. <laughs> you, you don't really think God needs your money, do you? You don't think that. I preached for a guy the other day, one of Dr. Ruckman's graduates. You know what he said? He said, Dr. Ruckman used to say, don't, ask God, don't tell God you're going to do something for him. Do something for God. Ask him to give you something to do. <laughs> he doesn't need us for diddly one. But you know what I got that night? I got a specific prayer answered. Yeah. Can I have it tonight? That's the kind of praying God likes. That's right. But it takes a lot of faith and most Christians won't do it. And that's why the devils are going to make you look bad. But it doesn't have to be that way. All you got to do is let yourself get under conviction. It's good for you. David said it's good that I've been afflicted. Hey, number four, blah, blah, blah. They prayed. I like this one. They prayed fervently, fervently. Verse 5, and, and, and he besought him much. Verse 12, and all the devils besought him. You know why a lot of Christians don't get their prayers answered? Because they forget there's more to prayer than prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. You know what supplication means? Men, I'm trying to challenge you now. God needs you men to lead your families like they need you to lead them and help them. You got a wonderful wife, but she's a weaker vessel, and your kids are weaker than the mama is. Are you able to get through to God? You want to know what supplication is? 
Supplication is you know what carpet fiber smells like. You all know what carpet fiber smells like? You say, what in the world does that mean? I don't know. Don't you ever spend time on your face on the carpet, wandering around for an hour or so, on the, laying there for about an hour maybe? How about fasting? Most Baptists just eat fast. I fasted 40 days, 40 days to release my first book, Final Authority. It's still in print, 50,000 copies sold. We don't have a problem selling that book. Why? I don't know. I wanted to learn how to pray big league prayer. Hey, Jesus, how come we can't cast this dude, devil out of this dude? And you just did that. And the Lord says, yeah, but this kind cometh forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. This kind. Other kinds, not that way. Some of them are extra hard. You might have to go without a meal for a while. I can't do it now with type 2 diabetes. I used to love the fast. Sometimes you've got to pray for a long time to reach somebody. George Mueller prayed 53 years to get his best friend saved, and he didn't get saved until Mueller died. My wife's brother was an unsaved guy. We prayed 40-something years to get him saved. He was, the, he was the top mason in his Masonic Lodge in Wilmington, Delaware, banking capital of the world. He's a draftsman for Hercules, worth a half a million dollars in various investments. He was a sharp attack, and he, he would not let, let us talk to him about God. We prayed for him for 40 years. My wife and, his, and her other younger brother who was saved were in Israel on a Holy Land tour that I sent them on, and they went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray for their unsaved brother. And they said, Lord, whatever it takes, get our brother saved. A few years after that, the younger brother died of a stroke just like that. And my big, the, the big unsaved brothers looking at him in the casket shook up bad. He's got cirrhosis of the liver by now. He's on the way out. About two months after that, he's in a nursing home, extended care facility, ready to die. Septus, you know what that stuff's like? And his blood, and he's dying from alcoholism. Got a big belly. You all know people like that. My wife said about the last couple nights he's going to live. She said, you better go and talk to Rex one more time. And I went in to see him, and I loved him. And I stood there at the bedside. I said, Rex, look, you're going out of here. You see what the devil did to you there? Look at your stomach. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Look what you let the devil do to you. Are you going to let him now take you to hell on top of that? Come on. No, tomorrow, Rex. Can I tell you? He's just laying there, not even saying a word. Look. I said, can I tell you, Rex, one more time how to be saved? And he goes. <laughs> and we gave him the gospel, cutting out all the details for time, you know. And I told him all about it. The devil, I said, you know, the thief on the cross got saved. I said, wouldn't you like to let the Lord rip the devil, the rug out from the devil with you at the last minute and, and get you saved? And I gave him the whole gospel. When I was all done, I said, Rex, would you like to get saved? This is it, Rex. No tomorrow. And he went, just like that. Brilliant mind. And we prayed the little sinner's prayer in the bed. And when we said, in Jesus' name, amen, he opened his eyes. First words out of his mouth. You got lost, loved ones? I'm trying to give you an hope tonight. Only took 40 years to get here. Besought him Much. Somebody, you're thinking about somebody right now you don't nearly pray as much for as you used to. The devils wouldn't do that. Opened his eyes and this is what he said. He said, I guess I got to start going to church and reading my Bible now, huh, Bill? <laughs> Three weeks later, he'll be dead. 
His chaplain from the nursing home will testify, oh, Rex came to church for three Sundays in a row with his walker. You know how those places are stretched out 50 miles? Those he walked in, looked at church with his belly hanging down here to go to church. And then the next thing he said was this, and this should give somebody hope tonight. He said, you know, Bill, I've always known I needed to do this, but I could just never get it together. That's how the devil messes with your loved ones. It keeps them running. Maybe they need somebody to stay on their trail and pray much and beseech the Lord, not just pray. Supplicate the Lord. Then number five, they prayed collectively. All the devils besought him. Do you read that? All the devils besought him. You know what the Lord wants you to do? The Lord wants you to humble yourself sometimes and ask your fellow Christians to pray with you about certain things. You got some whacked out lust problem against a guy's wife. Don't go up and tell him that, you idiot. Get that thing right, you know. But confessing your faults one to another, amen. It's, you know, Lord, to help me. My daughter, my, I was preaching a meeting over there in, uh, in South Carolina one time, and my daughter got kicked out of Christian school. I mean, I'm a teacher at Howes College, preaching in South Carolina. Our kids are in the Christian schools. You know how they would do? She got kicked out for being in a party with smoking and drinking, and I got the phone call on a, fr a Friday evening right before I went to preach. I was all done with the meeting, Sunday through Friday, Golden Creek Baptist Church, Liberty, South Carolina. Got that bad news. is on my heart and mine. I couldn't believe it. She's booted out of school. Amen. I got up and preached my sermon that night. When I was all done, I did this. Look. I said, listen, I'm all done, folks. I just got one little thing. I want to leave a prayer request for you. My daughter needs prayer. She has some spiritual needs, and I'd appreciate it if you pray. Look, I'm a private guy. I don't throw myself all over the place. Okay, no details. Oh, thank you. Look. I went over here to sit down or stand and wait. wait. The preacher's coming up to dismiss the service. About that time, remember I told you Southern churches are wild? They don't got the doctrine, but they got the power of God all over the place half the time. Yep. And right in the third pew, Brother Woodrow stood up. Woodrow Kelly, the local sheriff, six foot eight. They said when they called for backup, that meant Woodrow. That's what the old expression was. And old Woodrow got up like this with his curved finger like Lee Robertson, preacher. You know, humble, scared, apologized for breathing kind of guy. Put his finger up and he said, uh, Brother Pastor, uh, I believe the Lord would have us pray for Sarah now. It's like a, about 150 people, I'm telling you in Jesus' name, hit the altar. No room for anybody to sit down and get walking the aisles. They all fell on their face screaming their heads off praying for her. I've been there many times and they loved me and I loved them. And I'm up there going, I can't believe this has happened. They haven't even met my daughter. Standing at the back of the door, preachers, they're going out of that building that night. We're praying for Sarah, preacher. We're praying. You ever had collective prayer? That's what's wrong with the crazy internet services. Exhorting one another. What do you do? Send an email to somebody in the middle of an internet service to exhort them? The body is here to encourage one another. And getting each other to help you pray through things. The devils did it. All the devils were praying together. And then... Number six, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed acceptably, they prayed acceptably in the will of God. I could see those devils about those pigs. I could see those devils talking right before they made the big move. And they said, one devil probably said to the other, hey, look at them horses over there. Why don't we ask Jesus if we can go on them horses? And I could hear the top devil say, are you nuts? We got pigs over here. We don't know how the Lord feels about horses. We know Leviticus says he hates pigs, Amen. When you pray for things, make sure the things that you're asking God for are lined up with that book as much as you know. 
Don't ask God for things that go against this book. You're not going to get it. And then last of all, and I'm done with this. They prayed, they, they prayed believingly. They prayed believingly. The text says the swine were a great way off. You know, a lot of us can pray for five dollars, but you can't pray for 50,000 if you need to get a house or 30,000. You can't figure God can do that, but he can come up with five. That's our dopey flesh. We're all fighting the same thing. This nutty guy was hitchhiking one time, standing there with a bag of potatoes next to him, and a truck pulled over, and he climbed up into the cab and sat down and put the potatoes on his shoulders, just like that. And the trucker, we're going down the road, and the trucker's talking to the guy, and the guy's talking to the driver with the potatoes on his shoulder. About five minutes, ten minutes went by, the driver couldn't take it anymore. He said, buddy, uh, what's with the potatoes, man? Why don't you just put them down on the floor? That dopey redneck said, no, brother, it's one thing for me to ask you to give me a ride, but don't worry about the potatoes. I'll keep take care of the potatoes. That's how most Christians are when it comes to praying. They can't work up any faith to pray a big prayer. And that's the thing God wants to do the most for you, and I'm quitting with this. My wife had a daddy that was a top guy. He was a D-Day veteran. I mean, he went on the second wave, 29th Division Infantry from Virginia, all the way to St. Lowe. I never knew he was even in the Army until after he was dead. He got the nickname Doc because of all the bloody people he was helping. He wasn't even a medic, but he was bloodied up all the time. Long story short, he drove a bulldozer in the summer, and he was an oysterman on the Chesapeake Bay. You know where that Assateague Island in Shinkantig is? That's where my wife grew up down there. And he tonged for oysters out there. He lived in a town of 100 people, Sanford, Virginia. Not a saved man. I mean, religious, moral, just as good a guy as he could, you, could, you could ask type guy, you know? Quiet, never said anything. Big old man. My wife and I were all the way out in the state of Idaho with our first church, and we, he gets lung cancer. Smoked his whole life. Oh, man, that's not good. It's terrible. We didn't know what to do. I'm cutting out 90% of the story to give you the meat, and we're done. You ever have unsafe people in your family? I'm trying to show you it can happen. It can work, but sometimes God will let a lost person go to hell. It's his will. But you should make sure that they get through you've done, having done all, Stan. Make sure you do everything. You know what? <laughs> all we can do is pray for him. You ready for this neighbor? He's living in a town of 100 people on the eastern shore of Maryland, Virginia. 100 people. Sanford, Virginia. Can I tell you what Sanford, Virginia was? You drive in on a gravel road. Only two, only two things in the entire town. A wash interior to the right. There's always four or five black ladies, about 500 pounds. And we, we saw the same crowd. And scary looking. It's just an old rural you know, black area down here. And just sitting on washing machines. Hold it. And about a mile up on the left was the only store in the whole town. Till's General Store. One gas pump outside. Post office boxes inside. The dude that owned it, his name was Till. He's about 140 years old. He's always doing the same thing, sitting in there playing checkers with some other old codger on a barrel, just like some out of Walton's Mountain or Little House on the Prairie. That was the town my father-in-law lived in, dying with lung cancer. We're three 
thousand miles on the other end of the country, up in Coeur d'Alene with three little kids trying to get a church started out off the ground. And now he is dying over there. You know, we only really had one option. All we were able to do was pray. You ever get there? God will put you on a spot. He wants to help you now, but you got to take him up on his word. So we prayed about it. Lord, can you do anything about this? I have no idea how you could possibly do anything like this. Here's the answer. And if you told me this, I wouldn't believe it. But I was there when it happened. You know what the Lord did? Mrs. Dunbar, he sent a King James only independent Baptist church planter <laughs> into Sanford, Virginia to start a church. There's only one church building anywhere near it, right on the outskirts of Sanford. It's a holiness church, closed down, padlocked. That was the very building my, my wife got saved in when she was seven. He gets permission to rent the building, starts a church, unlocks the building. I don't know, I guess in about two weeks, take a guess who he runs into. I'll give you a hint, he landed on Normandy Beach. Second wave. Oh, within about a week, he and my father-in-law got along real good and got my dad, father-in-law saved, got his salvation straight in his head. Anybody grows up in that part of the world are exposed to everything. He had no clue what was going on, but he got the peace of God in his heart. And about a week later, that preacher preached the funeral of my daddy, father-in-law, my wife was there with him, rejoicing to God. Now, wait a minute, here's the part that kills me. After the funeral preacher, about two weeks later, he closed up the church. It really wasn't much of a church by then. And just like in Acts chapter 8, the Lord whisked Philip away, and the Ethiopian eunuchs, eunuchs saw him no more. And the Lord took that preacher out to who knows where, if it even was a preacher. Who the heck knows if it was an angel or whatever it was. But anyway, that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. And my father-in-law's up there tonight playing tag with the angels with his two sons, my two brother-in-laws that are up there. My father's over there. I don't know where my mother is, but you can't win them all. How are you doing tonight? Did God help you tonight? I hope he did. The only question is, are you as smart as a fifth grader? Did God convict you tonight to help you to see anything tonight? He's dying to help you. But you've got to let him help you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. And why don't we stand to our feet and, and we'll just have a, whatever simple invitation the Lord opens up and leads. Basically, basically, maybe the Lord tugged on your heart tonight to show you He's wanting to give you some stuff, the right spiritual stuff, and He just wants to get it. He just wants to get at your goat. Isn't that good? Maybe somebody tonight would say, Preacher, He got at me. He got my goat and I loved it. Loved every minute of it. And I'd like to thank Him tonight for speaking to me. And I'd like to claim some of these great truths tonight that maybe I was ignorant of or a, a lack, a, a lack of uh, employing. Maybe I knew about them, right? I don't know. The Lord speak to your heart. Let's make believe this is Alabama maybe tonight and not up north. We got our doctrine straight. Why don't you let the Lord speak to your heart tonight if, he, if he's speaking to your heart? And no, no high pressure. This is a good church.